All right, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 1. Normally we have you open your Bibles and turn to it. You can do that if you'd like to, but I'm just going to go ahead and read and you can just listen and um, sit back and, and take in the story of Christ's birth as told in Matthew's gospel. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, um, uh, we have been looking at several of the stories leading up to Christmas and at Christmas time. We've been looking at them through the lens of uh, the song, O Holy Night. So we've been taking like a phrase or a line from O Holy Night and, and looking at the story and uh, maybe looking at it in some new ways in, in that way. And so today uh, we're looking at specifically at this passage of Matthew and the lens this time is the the phrase from O Holy Night that goes like this, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Um, I love, love, love that phrase, a thrill of hope, and that's where we're focusing today. So a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I was listening to an interview with an author and speaker named Carlos Whitaker. He's telling a story about a vacation that he and his family took, his three kids, he and his wife, and it was a kind of a cross-country trip, seeing a bunch of people, stopping at various sites, big road trip. And one of the stops, it was towards the end, was uh, in Orlando to visit some family. And they had, hadn't planned to go to Disney World because they had had some other big trips that year, and they really couldn't afford to do it. They, they felt they couldn't afford to do it. And so um, he put on on social media, and he has a lot of social media followers that he was in Orlando, and somebody who follows him and works at Disney World offered him tickets for his whole family for the day. And so he's like, yeah, we'll take them. But he wanted to surprise his kids. So he said, get dressed for a bounce house, and then we're going to go. And so they got dressed, they got in the car, they were pretty excited to go into a bounce house, and on the way there, he couldn't hold it back any longer. And he finally said, hey kids, we are going to Disney World. And his two daughters, who were elementary age, were ecstatic. I mean, they were experiencing the thrill of hope, right? Something that was coming right up. They were experiencing it. But their, his youngest son, preschool age, had never been to Disney World. Didn't really know a whole lot about Disney World. But he had been to a bounce house. <laughs> so he was inconsolable. I mean, he was crying his eyes out saying, I want to go to the bounce house. Now, Whitaker, it didn't occur to him, and he could not figure it out. How, how could his son possibly prefer a bounce house to Disney World? But then it hit him. He's like, 
my son has never gone to Disney World. My daughters have gone to Disney World. So the question that, that we're that we're going to be asking as we work our way through a couple of the big ideas in this passage is how and where are you, am I, settling for a bounce house when it comes to our relationship with God? We're missing something better that God wants for us, something much, much better, something greater that God wants for you. One dictionary gives this definition to the word hope. There's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Now, from his birth in a stable to uh, being a storytelling rabbi to his horrible death on the cross, Jesus didn't fit the hopes, the desires, the wants of his people or of the world. They They weren't looking for a peasant king. That's what he came as, a peasant king. They were looking for a conquering king. They weren't looking necessarily for salvation from their sins. They wanted salvation from their political enemies. That's what they wanted. So in a sense, it was as if the people in their minds had been promised Disney World and Jesus shows up and he's a bounce house. But um, in a way, uh, we do that all the time in our life, but maybe in the other direction. In a sense, if, if our hopes, our feelings, and their hopes, if their hopes and feelings and expectations and desires for something to happen were, were for a conquering king, then they were not, in the coming of Jesus, feeling the thrill of hope. They were not feeling, as the one great Christmas hymn says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. They weren't, they weren't feeling it at all. But when you read the Christmas story, in light of the whole story of God. And when you listen to the words of the angel to Joseph, what he tells him Jesus is actually going to do, then you realize that the idea of a Messiah coming simply as a conquering king is a bounce house. And that the Christmas story as is, is really more like the day at Disney World. So in verse 21, here's what the angel says. He says, she will give birth to a son And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. His very name he's saying. That's where the because is in there. Because he will save his people. Call him Jesus because he will save. His very name proclaimed, the meaning of the name Jesus, is God is salvation. So better than a conquering king, Jesus came to save us from our sins. We're going to look at two things that the angel says. This is the first one. Better than a conquering king... Jesus came to save us from our sins. Now, if Jesus had come as a conquering king, uh, Rome would have been vanquished, the, the occupying force in Israel. They would have been vanquished. The Israelites would have been dancing in the streets for weeks. And there would have been true peace in the land instead of the kind of peace that the Romans did with the sword and with crucifixions and the things that they did. There would have been true peace in the land. But everyone in Israel would still die someday. And they would still die gripping on, holding on tightly to their sin and being held tightly by their sin. That's a bounce house. We know that now. That's a bounce house. Jesus came to do much more than that. He came to save us from our sins. We need that. And just think about it this way. 
Uh, if you've lived long enough, you can say yes to at least one of these things. Have you ever found yourself where you have escaped from a bad relationship? As you look back, you know, or even, you know, finally you get to the, to, to the end of it and you go, I'm done. You've escaped from a bad relationship. You've escaped from a bad job. You've escaped from bad friends. You've escaped from bad friends who are a bad influence. You've escaped from a bad addiction. Any bad situation, only to find yourself in not that long of a time, only to find yourself once again in the same condition. The reality is that we are part of the problem and we take our problems and the problem with us wherever we go. And the Bible locates the problem in us as sin because sin is essentially choosing our own way. It's choosing our own way instead of God's way. The reality is that we are part of that problem. Now, contrary to the last, you know, positive thinking uh, podcast you listened to or book that you read or seminar that you went to, you're not God. And you really aren't enough. And you're not capable of being God in your life. Sin, which is trying to make yourself God in your life, sin is at the core of the mess that we make in our lives. And it's not just our sins, it's, it's everyone's sins, you know, combined together. Jesus came to save His people from their sins. Jesus came to die on a cross so that He, on that cross, could take our sins upon Himself and He would give us life, life with God and eternity with God. Those who understood that, and there were some that understood it right from the beginning, those who understood that experienced the thrill of hope. Now, we have other ways of taking what Jesus came to do and turning it into a bounce house. Jesus offers to save us from our sins, but we just want Him to give us what we want a lot of times. We just want what, what, what we want, and what we want is less, actually, than what He is offering. So one of the ways that we do this is to think of God as a celestial vending machine. And the whole idea is you put something in, right? Offerings to a church or giving money to charities. You put in um, paying it forward by being nice to other people, serving other people, volunteering for an organization, volunteering at your church. Uh, we, we pay in by trying to keep God's rules, by trying to be basically as good of a person as we possibly can be. And what we expect to come out of the vending machine is that God would give us what we want, uh, that God would meet our expectations and our agenda for life. Now you go, I would never treat God as a vending machine. I just want to ask you, is there any time in your life that way back you can look back, if you can admit this to yourself, and say, my heart turned cold towards God when fill in the blank. When something bad happened to you, when something bad happened to someone that you love, and you find yourself even today with a cold heart towards God. You are perpetually angry at God. Now, the reality is, the Scripture tells us, when those kinds of things happen, we feel angry towards God. It doesn't offend God for us to say it to Him. There are, are literally probably hundreds of prayers in the Scripture of people saying, God, I'm angry and I'm upset because of what's happened, because of the pain 
I'm experiencing, the pain that someone else is experiencing, it, it doesn't make God angry for you to say what you're actually feeling uh, in your heart. But when our hearts tur- turn cold to Him, when we turn away from Him because we didn't get what we wanted, isn't that treating God like a celestial vending machine? And a vending machine God, that's a bounce house God. That's not what God can be, what God wants to be in your life and mine. If God gave you what you wanted, if He was a conquering God instead of a peasant king um, who came to die for your sins so that you can live, if He was just that conquering God, you'd get what you wanted and then you would die holding tightly to your sin and being held tightly by your sin. Jesus came to save you and me from our sins. She will give birth to a son and you are to name Him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Something else that the angel says is really incredible. Because as great as that is, this is even better. Verse 23, it says this, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, that God with us is packed with information, especially when you read it in the light of the Scripture. Jesus came. It's saying Jesus came so that we could experience a personal relationship with God, an actual relationship and a personal relationship with God. Some of you have heard me tell the story about a friend of mine who was in public relations, and, um, and she uh, did a lot of work in the Twin Towers when they were still standing. When they went down, uh, it was very personal. The loss was very personal to her. There were people that, um, that she knew there, and she went into a deep depression and, uh, and, and really a chronic anxiety, a pretty severe uh, acute anxiety, so much so that she couldn't, she couldn't even board a plane. And her job, her livelihood depended on boarding planes. And so she decided she needed to do something about it, and she thought, well, maybe one of the things I can do is see if, see if God can help. Because she really didn't have a relationship with God. She didn't know very much about God. She wasn't, you know, tied into a church or Christian community. And and she thought she'd try, and she thought, maybe I can find God in a church. So she started visiting churches, and she came to a church in Woodbury. Not our church, but another church in Woodbury. And she went to the inquirer's class, and in the inquirer's class, they kept talking about how uh, you can have a personal relationship with God. Well, being that she was in marketing, and secondly, that she had never heard that phrase before, she thought they were making it up that it was like the greatest marketing tagline she'd ever heard. And they had come up with it, which really impressed her and caused her to, I'm going to stick around this place. These are smart people. I'm going to stick around with them for a while. After a while, she came to discover they had not made it up, that they were just, that, that really the story of the Bible from beginning to end is about that lost relationship and the vast majority of the Bible from chapter three on is about God reestablishing that relationship with us and what he's done in order to do that. Um, and eventually she did not only discovered that, but she, she began a personal walk and relationship with God. Is it possible, is it possible that you've read the Bible um, all your life, that you've attended church all your life, and that you've missed that in the story, that the whole story of God is about God with us? It's about a relationship with God. And if you've missed it, whatever you've turned it into, whatever you've turned Christianity into, it is a bounce house. 
no matter how noble and no matter how, how good it might be. Counselor and author uh, Terry Wardell explains another way that we take what God has to offer, which is a living personal relationship with Him, and we turn it into a bounce house. This one, this one um, hit me personally in a way that I, I didn't see it coming. Wardell grew up in a, um, in, a coal mining in the coal mining fields of western Pennsylvania. His great-grandfather had been a coal miner in England, had been a criminal, had gone to prison, escaped from prison, and come to the coal mining fields of western Pennsylvania. Left his family behind in England and started a whole new family, all right, which eventually wound up in Terry and his siblings and, and all of that. Now, when Wardell was growing up, his great-grandfather was dead, had died. But his grandfather, that man's son, uh, was a carbon copy of the great-grandfather. He was a criminal, a womanizer. Um, he wasn't... Um, he said his home, he, says, he said, if you've, if you've read Hillbilly Elegy, uh, that book, that's kind of what his story is like. Uh, because um, it, was, it was a really, really traumatic, he had a lot of traumatic experiences that he had throughout his life, and these traumatic experiences left him scarred in ways that just left him filled with a lot of fear and a lot of anxieties. And so uh, one, one day, just as, as an example, one day he woke up in the morning with his mother screaming. This is... This is one of his examples, one of his samplings of, of things. He says, he woke up with his mother screaming that grandma, great-grandma was dead. The problem was that great-grandma and he, it was a little shack that they lived in, shared a bed. She was, she was dead, and she had been dead for who knows how long. He said after that, he became deathly afraid of death, deathly afraid of, of even nighttime. Another experience... Uh, that kind of left him filled with a lot of anxiety it was a day that his grandfather came into the house and said, hey, Terry, let's go for a ride. Everybody in the house is kind of like, Grandpa wants to just spend some time with Terry? That's neat. And so he gets in the car and they drive away. And first stop they make is at, a, is at the shed. He goes into the shed. Grandpa goes into the shed and gets his gun. Gets into the car and they drive. And they drive for a long time. They eventually drive into the woods and deeper and deeper into the woods. It's getting darker and darker. By the time they get there, it's dark. His grandfather grabs the gun, looks back at Terry and says, lie down on the floor and don't move. And he leaves. And he leaves for what felt to him like an eternity, all the while wondering what is out there that his grandfather would need a gun. And I'm in here alone in the dark on the floor of the back seat of my grandpa's truck. Turns out, he wouldn't find this out until years later. Uh, that, was one, that was a shack that he had gone to in the woods, was a shack of one of his mistresses. Took the gun in case the husband came home, took Terry to trick his wife. And he says, those are just some of the things, but one, one of the things that happened is it left him deeply anxious. And like a lot of us, a lot of people, he took that deep anxiety, that deep fear, it's no surprise when I tell you this, he leveraged it into great success. And so he was the kind of guy, he, it just so happened that it was in vocational ministry, but he would plant a church with a small group of five, six people in the living room, and within a couple of years, he had a church of a thousand people. Did that more than once. He was asked at the age of 34 to be the president of a seminary 
He said he had no right being the president of the seminary. He said he was not prepared for it. He didn't really know what a president does. He had no idea, but he said, I was so broken, I couldn't admit to anybody that I'm not ready for that. And um, he said, I was too broken to say, to say no. And so he went through life filled with anxiety, fear, leveraging it into driven, you know, driving for success, needing to succeed at everything. And eventually it was, eat, all that while was eating up, him up inside and eventually the drug of success wasn't enough. He said sometimes he would find a situation where he felt safe enough around some Christians to be able to share with them what he really was going through on the inside and the outside, very successful, but on the inside he said, you know, eaten up with anxiety and fear. And oftentimes people would say to him, would quote scripture to him, something like this, Terry, don't you remember that perfect love casts out fear? And he came to hate that verse, perfect love casts out fear. Listen carefully to what his problem was with people quoting to him that verse. He explains it, he explains it this way, that scripture wasn't saying the scripture, perfect love casts out fear, will cast out fear. You get that? I'm going to read it one more time. That scripture wasn't saying the scripture, perfect love casts out fear, will cast out fear. Now, he just said that in passing in an interview that I heard. Actually, I think in the last week, um, the interview that I heard. And I'm like, I wrote it down immediately, started thinking about it immediately, and I've not been able to forget it. But here's, here's my explanation of what he's saying here. That scripture doesn't say, quoting this verse will cast out fear. That scripture doesn't say, knowing that perfect love casts out fear, casts out fear. That scripture doesn't even say, believing that perfect love casts out fear, casts out fear. That scripture says, perfect love casts out fear. That's a very different thing than what we often do, that what I often do with something like that. Knowing it, quoting it, believing it is a necessary part of the process, all right? I'm not saying knowing Scripture, quoting it to ourselves, reminding ourselves, I'm not saying that it is a necessary part of the process, but without a personal encounter with the God of perfect love, because that's what it's talking about, without a personal encounter with the God of perfect love, or an experience of that perfect love in Him, that we find in Him, all we have is a bounce house. Matthew says, or the angel says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God wants to be with you. He wants a personal relationship with you. Don't settle for a bounce house. About a month ago, a local news station in Huntsville, Alabama, ran a story about a boy uh, waiting for his dad who had been deployed, who wasn't going to make it home for the holidays, waiting for him to come home, talking about how much he missed his dad. What he didn't know was his dad was already home, and he was in for a big surprise. I usually want to go play outside, ride my bike with him, and having him gone, you know, it's a little tough. There's nothing 11-year-old Jordan Harlan misses more crisp bear around Percy Priest Lake, going fishing with his dad. But for nine months now, Jordan just hasn't been able to do that. With his dad deployed with the Navy. 
lunchtime at Leeds Southeast Middle School. We caught up with Jordan to talk about waiting for his dad to get home. But really, this wasn't that kind of story. They all miss him a whole lot, right? Yeah. I miss you too. <laughs> dad. <laughs> Petty Officer First Class Troy Harlan is home, ready to catch up with Jordan on everything. <laughs> I'm thankful, made it home, uh, made it through another deployment, safe and sound, and I'll try to sink back into my groove as dad. Spar? Spar. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm ready. I've, I've been working out. Okay. Harlan tells us there's a lake out there waiting on the both of them. It's good to be home. I don't know if you could hear it well enough, but right before his dad talks to him, they say, you really missing your dad? Oh, yeah, I really miss him. And his dad says, I miss you too. And that is the story of Christmas, is that God is here. Like that dad, God is here with us. That's what happened through Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. Don't settle for a bounce house. Jesus came to save you, and he's right here now saying, I'm here. And he actually wants to be with us. He actually wants to be with us and to be a relationship with us. So what do you do with all this? A um, few suggestions. Some of you may have staked your spiritual life on living a good life all your life. But God invites you into a personal relationship with him. And maybe today is the day that you take a step in that direction. You begin, you begin with an open heart to the idea that actually God may want to have a personal relationship with me. And to do that, um, that's what we're here for. That's what any church that is um, sticking to the gospel and trying to tell people about Jesus and what he came to do. That's what we are trying to do. We need each other for that. We are all learning together. What does that look like? So uh, John talked about the series that we've got coming in a couple of weeks, A Good and Beautiful Life. And it's uh, a series on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And we're going to be looking at it through that lens. God calling us into a relationship, seeing what that means, what that looks like, and then practicing it uh, throughout our lives, in our everyday lives. Um, some of you may have, uh, have been on a journey towards God. You took that step before, maybe even years ago, maybe weeks ago, and you started to, with an open heart, that God maybe wants a relationship, but you have not begun that relationship. You have not put your faith in Christ alone to be your Lord and your Savior, your leader and forgiver based on His grace, not on what you've accomplished. And maybe today is the day that you begin that relationship by putting your faith in Him and inviting Him to come into your life and beginning life with Him. And some of you may have staked your spiritual lives on a prayer that you prayed at some point in your life, but it has never become about a personal relationship with God. 
that prayer that you prayed is important. And it was a prayer that maybe, you know, was probably really important for your spiritual journey. But maybe it's time for you today to make it about something more. Maybe it's that time for you to make it about a relationship. Emmanuel, God with us. God is here. God wants to walk with you through life. And let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a good and beautiful God and you call us into a good and beautiful life, not because we are able to do that on our own, but because you want to be a part of our lives. I pray, Father, wherever we are today, if it's just going deeper in that relationship, just learning to experience your love and encountering you on a daily basis, or whether for some it's just taking a step in that direction or for others beginning that relationship, I pray that, um, that we would all take that next step. I pray that you would work in hearts and lives. And I just think of those who today maybe are making that decision to begin a relationship with you. We celebrate that or take a first step towards you. We celebrate that now, Father, and we thank you. Draw us near to you. Help us as we draw near. Help us to walk with you and learn what that means. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue our worship by responding together.